This is a crowd podcast. Hello. Have you noticed anything about most of the people I've been talking to so far? One little thing that they all have in common? I have. My name is Stephen Pruitt. Brian Henderson. Dominic Bird McDevitt. Robert K. Henderson. I currently live in Portland, Oregon. I'm from Alabama. Central Ohio. Yep, you got it. They are all guys. All guys from America. Which makes me feel just a little bit weird, because the thing is, this thing, Wikipedia, that I've set out to understand, it's global, but I'm not really getting that vibe from the people I've met so far. I'm Katie Puckrick. This is .com, the Wikipedia story. Episode 3, Moving the Needle. So, this is a problem with the Internet in general. Men are 33.5% more likely to have Internet access than women. And guess what? It's a problem on Wikipedia as well. Up to 90% of Wikipedians are guys, and most of them are white. We're talking about the people who are documenting the world here, creating the sum of all human knowledge. And if they all come from pretty similar worldviews, well... I think that's pretty darned interesting. So, I've got Rebecca O'Neill here with me today to help me figure all this stuff out. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here. Great. Well, tell me who you are and what do you do? So, Rebecca O'Neill, the project coordinator for a group called Wikimedia Community Ireland, which is the recognized affiliate of the Wikimedia Foundation for Ireland, which means that we have the stamp of approval to represent the, uh, I suppose, the Wikimedia movement. But uh, I also completed a PhD in the last number of years looking at Wikipedia as a form of citizen curation. I suppose I work at it, I've studied it, and I'm also an active Wikipedian myself. Yeah, so you are familiar with all the snakes and ladders of the system. So let's talk about this general problem with gender bias on Wikipedia and Why is it even a problem? Well, as you kind of alluded to, there's lots of, I suppose, systemic and uh, demographic reasons that it is broadly men, and I suppose specifically white men from the West, is that they are more likely to have something close to a third level education. So university educations, they are familiar and competent and confident when it comes to the type of writing that you get on Wikipedia. Uh, They're also, in general, less likely to have caring Uh, duties. So they're not looking after any children or any other relatives. Not to be too uh, reductionist about it as well, men tend to have a a slightly higher level of confidence when it comes to correcting people on the internet, as I was talking about, uh, to feel slightly more, I suppose, forthright in how they feel that they are correct. And perhaps having the confidence to actually step in and say, I'm going to fix this without anybody asking me to do so. So we have a lot of very confident men who have access to the internet and a certain level of education, and they're eager to uh, flesh out the information of the world on the internet. That all sounds not too bad to me. I mean, they're eager beavers. Uh, What is the problem with men telling everybody's stories, white men in particular? Well, it's that wonderful world word that I suppose we've all started to feel far more comfortable with more recently, and that's bias, uh, both uh, conscious and unconscious bias. So they will have bias towards their locality. And I do this as well. I, I tend to write about subjects that are both physically and I suppose tangentially close to me in some way. So 
for me, Irish topics or topics very specifically related to Dublin. But also they're going to have unconscious bias. So they're going to have internal ideas of what is important and what is not important. So whether they are aware of this bias or not, they might decide that um, articles about wars and train cars and guns and ships are all very, very important. <laughs> but an article about a early 20th century Irish abstract artist who happens to be a woman is probably just within their own internal world is less important. And that might translate into them deciding that they don't think it's important, so therefore it is de facto unimportant and should not be within the scope of Wikipedia as a project. So when my producer Anna and I started looking into this thing, there was one person whose name kept popping up and we just had to meet her. I think it's really hard for you to feel emotionally connected to something when your history and your backstory doesn't overlap with the people that you're hearing about. And unfortunately, because of this kind of whitewashing that happens in history books, people write about the winners. They don't cover the people who actually did this huge amount of back work to contribute to the story, who may not have got there first, who didn't receive all of that news coverage. This is Dr. Jess Wade, a.k.a. Jess Wade 88. She's a physicist at Imperial College London, and she spends her days in labs. Listen to this. I study new materials for electronic and spintronic devices, so particularly I'm interested in carbon-based semiconductors. Yeah, makes no sense to me either. Anyway, when she's not doing stuff with carbon, Jess is on Wikipedia. And get this. I realized women and, and minorities were very underrepresented in the biographies on Wikipedia. And I just thought, you know, that's something that I can do. I can, I can, I can take my, spend my evenings instead of just watching television or ordering things online. I can spend my evenings writing these stories about women and people of color who've really contributed to our understanding of the world, but don't get spoken about, don't get put in textbooks, don't get on the news because they're not on Wikipedia and I could put them there. So she's pretty great. The first article that I wrote was about Kim Cobb. She is a climate scientist at Georgia Tech. And I actually met Kim Cobb at a conference a couple of years before I, I wrote the Wikipedia page. And she was just so cool when I met her, you know, incredibly effective science communicator, made all these discoveries, won all these big awards, managed to do that all while having four kids. And I was just like, why have I not heard about you before? And why, when I come away from this conversation and Google you, does a Wikipedia page not pop up? So as soon as I learned how to edit Wikipedia, I was like, I know exactly who I'm writing about. And, and so Kim Cobb was my first page. I've been editing every day for three years now, so I've just by I've just gone past 1,300 biographies, which is such an achievement. And you know, every single one I write, the person is fascinating. The research is absolutely incredible. I get to spend my evenings learning about a whole new discipline of science, and and you know, I feel this immense privilege to be able to do that. Timing-wise, it probably all starts at for me as a Wikipedia editor who's doing this. After my research day, it, it starts probably after dinner. So I, I start editing at about eight and I probably finish writing a page at about half 10 or 11. I mean, some nights I'm kind of worried that I might have a big presentation the next day or a big group meeting, or, you know, in the olden days, it might be that I was going out for dinner. And then I'd know that on the weekend. So I'd be like, okay, I've got to do two pages tonight because I know on Wednesday, I'm going to have that big thing for Thursday. So I may not get around to doing it. But, but yeah, I spend my evenings doing that. 
And have you looked at your own Wikipedia page recently? Wait, you have one, don't you? I do, but I never look at it because I am a very embarrassed person. I really just don't like talking about myself. I like talking about other people, if you haven't noticed that. I have noticed. Yes. <laughs> so, so I think that... Um, I, I do have a Wikipedia page. I haven't been on it. I know. I, I think I know who wrote it. My dad gets very upset about it because it says who my mum is by name and doesn't say who my dad is by name. And so I just never thinking about it. But I, there is one. <laughs> so there are two things you need to understand about why gender bias is a thing. Number one, women editors. There are way fewer than men. Remember that 90% stat? As in 90% of Wikipedians are guys? So uh, that's not great. And here's the second problem. Fewer women editors means fewer people documenting things that are relevant to women. As Rebecca said, lots of trains and cars, probably not so many female scientists, poets, warrior queens, astronomers, activists. And this problem goes a lot deeper than just finding women to edit Wikipedia. It's to do with the sources. Let me explain. Let's say Jess has found a scientist from the 1800s who discovered this really cool thing, but there's no Wikipedia article about her. So if Jess is going to persuade the other Wikipedians, you know what? She deserves to be up there. She's going to need to show them that this woman is notable, which means finding secondary sources like this gal's name in a scientific journal or a trophy she won. But Jess tells me that's really hard. There are no journals with this woman's name in, and she didn't win any trophies. I mean, it's the 1800s. And that's not because she didn't do any important thing, but because her role has been downplayed and her male colleagues got all the credit. I mean, have you seen that film Hidden Figures about the three African-American women whose mathematical genius made the moon landing possible? Like... We could not have landed on the moon without them, but you don't even know their names. But I bet we all know Neil Armstrong's. So it becomes this annoying, vicious circle. Important women aren't being shouted about, so as time goes on and as other voices shout louder, they're overlooked by history. And when little Jess in South London tries to claim their deserved spot in history by writing a Wikipedia article about them, well, she can't because the secondary sources she needs to write the article aren't there in the first place. Ow. You know, women are less likely to get their papers accepted in peer review. When they are published, they're less likely to be cited. And that's not because they're any less brilliant. It's just because science as an institution has been set up to kind of protect, honor, and champion established white male academics. So unfortunately, the kind of metrics that we use as both society and as Wikipedia editors are inherently biased. So I had read Jess's comment um, somewhere that she said editors, in her experience, would rather flag an article than help improve it. And it almost seems like that's a power play that male editors were perhaps more interested in positioning themselves as gatekeepers rather than living up to Wikipedia's stated goal of documenting the sum of all human knowledge. 
Oh yeah, the, the drive-by tagging uh, is what a lot of us refer to it as. Yes, it's much easier to go to an article and say, these are the problems that I see here. And by the time, really, you would have sat down and pressed the buttons to put the tag in, you probably could have fixed half the issues that you're looking at. Those of us who are slightly more cynical, because edit count is seen as kind of the holy grail, especially on English language, well, all Wikipedia is put on English language Wikipedia. A lot of people are chasing a high level of edits. So, you know, they want a thousand, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 100,000 edits. And it is much quicker to do those kind of drive-by edits than it is to, say, sit down and write a whole article from scratch, which may equate to one edit, despite the fact that you've created something uh, from nothing. It's, it's the usual thing of you know, want to, wanting to be on a leaderboard, wanting to be one of the most active Wikipedians uh, that there is. That these are, the, these are the types of activities that will get you there rather than what Jess is doing, which is the long slog of creating an article from scratch. Any thrill I get is really about seeing other people be honoured for what they've done and what they've achieved and and really be honoured for extraordinary science and engineering and mathematical discoveries. And I love seeing that for people that I've written about because I feel this kind of personal connection or interaction with them. I honestly can't see a day that I wake up and I don't think about someone incredible or inspirational to write about. You know, sometimes I think, oh, eventually I must have written about all the women physicists in the world. And then you open a magazine and you're like, nope. And so so I think, you know, I'm not going to run out about people or content to write about and I'm not going to run out about of ways I think the project's massively important. So Jess is a legend. And this thing with gender bias seems to go even deeper than I thought. My name is Rosie Stevenson Goodnight. I live in Nevada City, California, USA. I'm 67 years old. I'm retired from my previous professional career, and now I'm a Wikipedian. This is Rosie Stevenson Goodnight, a.k.a. Rosie Step, And she's a legend in the Wiki community, and I'm so psyched to speak to this woman. I've heard her name even more times than Jess's. Stephen knows her. You guys remember Stephen, right? Life is mostly what we make it filled with sunshine. And Jess told me that I needed to speak to her. Uh, another Wikipedian, Emily Temple Wood, said Rosie's her wiki mom. Lovely, lovely human being. So when she came on the line, it felt like meeting an actual celebrity. Today, June 4th, 2021, is my 14 year anniversary. As Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it is a big deal, I think. How did you get into editing Wikipedia? Well, um, in 2007, I had been divorced for a year. And it dawned on me that I didn't really have a hobby. I wanted to be a cultural anthropologist. And I had this chance with Wikipedia. In fact, I did. Like three months later, I was reading the the Los Angeles Times and there was an article about the Kalawaya people of the Amazon jungle. And then I Googled the Kalawaya people and there was no Wikipedia article. And so I sat down and I wrote that article. A week later, I got this orange bar across my user page that said something like, click here, you've got a message. And so I clicked this orange bar to read this message and it said something like, congratulations, the article you created on Kalawaya people a week ago is now on the main page of English Wikipedia. 
millions of people look at the main page of English Wikipedia, right? And here they're seeing a link to an article that I created. It really made me pause and think about, I'm not writing in a vacuum because people are reading what I'm writing. It was really an aha moment. This other editor I spoke to, Emily Templewood, told me you've changed Wikipedia more than anyone else she knows. She's very modest about it because she's lovely, but she has done more to change the face of Wikipedia than anyone else. Because of this group you founded called Women in Red. So talk to me about that. What is the mission of Women in Red? The mission of Women in Red, if you will, is to improve Wikipedia's content gender gap. Wikipedia has a goal of having the sum of all notable human knowledge. So, for example, I got two cats, but my cat's names, that's not notable. So that that doesn't get in Wikipedia. But everything else that is notable, theoretically, we want to have a Wikipedia article about it in all the different language Wikipedias. And so you start seeing these other kind of patches, if you will, of missing information. If you look at the category, for example, at 19th century novelists, you start scrolling through these things, you see a sea of men's names, Johns and James and Williams and so forth, and so few, you know, Mary and Catherine and um, Brittany and Ashley and Harriet. Once you recognize that they're missing, it didn't take long for me to, to, to sort out, A, they're missing, B, I can do something about it, and C, I want to. We said, let's move the needle. That's a phrase we used. We didn't focus on, oh, we want to get to 50%, 51, 49, 33, 20. We just knew we could do better. So this is what Rosie did. She and her pal Roger set up a group on Wikipedia known as a wiki project, and they called it Women in Red, as in women's names that don't lead anywhere when you click on them. They're in red. Members of the project devote themselves to writing women's biographies, so like Jess with Kim Cobb, But they also write about things women have done, the paintings they've painted, the schools they've founded, the discoveries they've made. Because we know these women exist. We have lists of them. We know they exist. They just don't have that article. This whole thing with the gender gap is super interesting, and it's ringing a bell. I've actually been told about Rosie and Women in Red before by someone you already know. Stephen. The world's number one Wikipedian, over four million edits. He is super duper active on Women in Red, and when he and I spoke, I noticed he writes almost entirely about women. A couple of years ago, I made a personal choice to only write, I I think with one exception, every article I wrote that year was an article about a woman in some field or other. He and Rosie are buddies, so... It's not just the ladies who are writing themselves back into history. Guys care about it, too. Yes, I would say broadly. I suppose the the Wikipedians that are visible to each other agree that this is an issue. But like, you know, going into a a forum or being on, on Twitter or something like that, you will definitely find Wikipedians who do not agree and do not think that the gender bias, as it's referred to, 
is an issue, um, both in editorship, so the amount of people who actually edit who identify as women, but equally the content that exists there. You know, they'll make the same arguments of, well, you know, if women wanted to edit, they would. And if people wanted to write these articles, they would. There's nothing stopping them. Not acknowledging all of the things that we've been talking about around bias and difficulty finding uh, citations and perhaps the, the editing environment being not necessarily hostile, but not a comfortable environment for an awful lot of people who would identify as female. Yeah. Also, I'm thinking about harassment of female editors. Have I ever been harassed online because I've been on Wikipedia? Yes. But that's a story for later. I'm checking back in with Jimmy Wales, the co-founder. I want to know his take on all this. In terms of participation in Wikipedia, it's something that we really do want to change, and it's actually quite a strong desire within the community uh, to see some change around that. Uh, but it's hard. Um, and the truth is, we haven't made a huge amount of progress. I think we've made some progress. Some of the issues have traditionally had to do with our editing tools. Uh, and I'm always very careful how I talk about this. Um, so it used to be you know, that when you clicked edit, you had to learn wiki markup language, which meant that editing Wikipedia was very largely restricted to computer geeks. Um, and computer geeks are largely men. Right. That's really true. My view has always been, and I've been saying, gosh, I don't even know how many years I remember talking about it in 2006, that, that this is not okay, that basically we want people who are geeks but not computer geeks, male, female, whatever, to be comfortable in editing Wikipedia. And we've made a lot of strides in that, in that regard. It's certainly a lot easier to participate in Wikipedia from a purely technical point of view than it used to be. But I think we still have uh, room to go in terms of outreach, in terms of talking about the issue, in terms of bringing people in. And, um, you know, I, I think it's something that we need to keep focused on. So are women writing history? It looks like a lot of people are doing their level best to make sure they are. And that needle is gradually on the move. Besides Rosie and Jess's amazing work at the bottom, change is also obvious at the top. The last CEO of the Wikimedia Foundation, the nonprofit that runs Wikipedia, was a dynamic, charismatic gal called Catherine Marr. She stepped down in mid-2021, and her successor is also a woman, Mariana Iskander, who's from Egypt, which is great. But this should be normal. I mean, only 7% of the FTSE 100 companies have a female CEO. Pathetic. And back on Wikipedia, it seems like there's still lots of things standing in the way. Must be frustrating for someone like Jess. Here she is again. I think that that's the beauty of science, and it's certainly the thing that I found most exciting about science, is that you realize no one ever really knows anything. We're kind of getting a little bit closer all the time, and we can't say anything happens 100% for a reason, right? We can't say this medicine worked for this reason, or I can't say this material's better than this because of this, because we live in the real world. We don't live in, in a textbook or in a kind of cartoon picture of reality. And I I find that incredibly exciting. I realize that's probably quite nerve-wracking and scary for some people to think that we don't have all the answers yet, but that's why we're here, right? We're all here because we're trying to find those answers out. We're going to have a really quick break here, and after that, I've got something kind of neato to show you. This is the story of Whitney Houston. 
George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. That feeling. That feeling. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hello, it's Tom here, part of the .com team. Eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious ready-to-eat meals. Always fresh, never frozen. Each meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. I'm a flexitarian, so with a weekly menu of 35 options, there's plenty for me to choose from. Last night, I had the Moroccan-style almond-crusted salmon, and it was delicious. If you want more than meals, there's over 60 add-ons like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks and smoothies to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. And if you're looking for gourmet options, you can try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini and asparagus. Customise your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. You can always pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. So what are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash thehacking50 and use code thehacking50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code thehacking50 at factormeals.com slash thehacking50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. You're listening to Dot Com. Welcome back. Do you remember that library we were in back in episode one? Well, let me remind you. There, remember? With the 2,944 books, the 6,999 articles that are all from English Wikipedia? Well, I started leafing through them back in episode one. All the way through episode two, while you were listening to Larry. So he was trying to airbrush And up me to now. So that's like what? An hour and 50 minutes of the pod? Well, I finally got through the nearly 3,000 books all the way to the end of the Z's. That is how huge this thing is. How many words? Ugh, my thumb is tired. Anyway, back to bias. I'm here with Rebecca O'Neill. Wikipedia expert extraordinaire, and we're chatting about Wikipedia's problem with representation, gender bias mainly. But there's another kind we haven't spoken about, and it's a huge one. There's someone else I want you to meet, a young guy called Jay, a.k.a. Center Left Right, which, by the way, isn't a political thing, apparently. He's an ice hockey fan. What I usually say to my friends is, um, I'm a a full-time student, I'm a part-time call center worker, but I'm also a full-time Wikipedian. It's kind of like a joke amongst my friend groups now. It's like, oh, what does he do? How does he introduce himself at parties? Like, oh, I edit Wikipedia. Isn't that cool? Uh, (laughs) I don't think that as an insult or anything. It's like, I kind of wear it like a badge of honor. It's just some funny thing about me, I guess. Back in February, my producer, Anna, was looking at the Wikipedia page about the military coup in Myanmar. 
2021 Myanmar coup d'etat, it's called. And this one name just kind of stood out, center, left, right. It just kept popping up again and again and again on pages about Aung San Suu Kyi, another one about Rohingya, and generally on pages about Myanmar's politics and conflicts. Uh, We thought he's got to be Burmese, but pretty weird name for someone from there. So she clicks on his name, and this is what she finds. I guess it is like a hobby for me now. I think the worst it's gotten was I I woke up in the morning with an article I had in mind that I was going to make. And then I just read a bunch of journals and books. And then I spent the whole day like writing out paragraph by paragraph. And then next day I woke up and then I wrote more and more and more. And that was um, Northern Rakhine State Clashes. That was when there was an insurgent group in Myanmar's northwest province of Rakhine State, a Rohingya insurgent group. And it was back in October 2016 when they attacked some police officers along the border. And that was when the military stepped up its crackdown on the Muslim minority in the Northwest. We had tens and tens of villages burned to the ground, violations of human rights that are absolutely intolerable. And then I thought, okay, it's happening, it's happening. A military coup and ousted government, a jailed leader, civilians being killed. And... There's no coverage on this that's really sufficient. I'm going to read all the news articles I can. I'm going to read all the books I can, and then I'm going to write this huge article. Failing to act on claims of voter fraud in last November's election. And I think that was like the biggest article I've ever written. Widespread international condemnation of the military's takeover. He's obviously a political guy. I'm on his user page right now, and there's a picture of the Dalai Lama, center stage, and there's a quote about Marxism. And his edit histories, let's see, it's just politics, Myanmar, politics, Myanmar. I mean, that's just, that's his thing. Under his name, though, it says, current location, Canada. I've never been to Myanmar However, I was actually uh, planning to go there. I, I had, you know, I worked my part-time, saved money, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go on a trip there uh, in 2020. That was the plan, but unfortunately, with the COVID-19 pandemic, obviously, I didn't go. Never been there, want to go, but probably not soon. So I've heard about the country, but I didn't know anything about it, so I did a lot of reading. I read the news, I read books, and um, I realized, like, oh, Wikipedia, at least the English Wikipedia, doesn't have many articles about like what's happening there in terms of like uh, the insurgency or the pol- politics there or the political parties and organizations. Like there's a, there's like a lack of information, and I thought like I could spend time to kind of work on that. Um, yeah, and it kind of just exploded from there. I guess they had like a a list of parties, but it, I thought it was pretty poor quality in English. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take this list. I'm going to make every article for every party and I'm going to try to expand as much as I can. That kind of just became a routine. And then when the election was over, it kind of di- the discussion around Myanmar kind of died down. I thought, I can do this for any country. I can do this for any topic as long as I do it right, you know, in, within uh, Wikipedia's guidelines. So first things first, Jay says there are only about 
four active editors on the Wiki Project Myanmar. So that's him and three others, who he reckons all live in the country. He's the only one who doesn't. He's in Vancouver. So how come there are so few people devoted to working on articles about Myanmar? Rebecca, what is going on with that? I've only been thinking about gender bias so far, but uh, talk to me about geographical bias on Wikipedia. I think the Myanmar example is very interesting because because of the nature of what's happening in Myanmar. They lost um, internet connectivity, they were, they were shut down. The onus is on the wider world to actually tell that story um, when we can't perhaps uh, place the onus on those who are experiencing the events to actually write about it. And what you have to hope for is that the editors that are drawn towards it are those that are doing due diligence, they're, they're reading widely. They don't necessarily have a very strong political or ideological bent that they are bringing to it, or if they do, they are quite happy for other editors to perhaps um, highlight to them and work with them to eliminate where there might be undue bias within that content. It's not ideal uh, for the perspective represented on, on any given Wikipedia article to be an outsider perspective, but I suppose we have to be mature enough to recognise that there are certain situations in which we cannot rely on the on the community to be the people telling the story. Um, when something is unfolding like that, we can't put extra labour, extra burden on the given community to say, well, it's your job to write about this. But as somebody who's writing about context to which you are not intimately familiar, I think being aware of that and being open to those conversations, I think makes you a, a good and responsible Wikipedian. Rebecca's point about allyship is key when thinking about Jay, a 21-year-old call center worker in Vancouver, writing the history of a country he's never been to. But the thing is, it seems like he's doing it right. He collaborates with editors in Myanmar, he's a diligent researcher, and also, he just really cares. I've read about their culture and history in books, but I've never been there, and it would be so great if I could go. Of course, ideally, we'd want Burmese people to be documenting their own country. But in their absence, at least someone's writing these articles, and Jay's doing a good job. Okay, so Jay's never been to Myanmar. He doesn't even speak the language, but he is an expert in the country. Wikipedia is a place where anyone can write about anything. But hold on a minute. That's not true. Let me tell you the story of Scott's Wikipedia. Rebecca, let's talk about Amaryllis Gardner. Tell me what happened. Basically, uh, this individual editor discovered the Scots language in some form and was very activated, discovered the Scots Wikipedia. Doesn't live in Scotland, is not Scottish, uh, is from the United States, but felt activated to do something to help this small language Wikipedia, which, you know, when we talk about small language Wikipedias, English language Wikipedia is about six million articles. Uh, Irish, which is an official language of, of the Irish state, has about uh, 55,000 articles. So Scots was smaller than that, and he thought that he could create useful and interesting stubs. Um, just quickly, a stub's a really short article, just a sentence or two. But in the days, I suppose, before, there wasn't a machine translation tool for Scots. So he would take the English form of an article and just copy replace words. So let me quickly explain. Scots is a language, kind of similar to English, but I wouldn't be able to understand it. It's spoken in, shockingly, Scotland. The number of native speakers is disputed, but 
Most sources report between 1 and 2 million, so not a lot. This is what happened. Just like there's an English Wikipedia, a German one, and a Chinese one, there's also a Scots Wikipedia. It was tiny, though, basically had no articles. So this American teenager, Amaryllis Gardner, thought they could help out. They translated pages and pages of articles from English Wikipedia into Scots using dictionaries and Google Translate and uploaded them onto Scots Wikipedia. Their Scots was all over the place, mostly because it was wrong. And Amaryllis Gardner didn't actually speak any Scots, so didn't notice. And this ruffled a lot of feathers. In essence, what he was creating was useless content. Um, It was not (laughs) useful for Scots readers. It led to this perception of Scots not really being a language in of itself, that it was just kind of English with with an accent. Um, And it just kind of, I suppose, didn't didn't lend itself to any language advocacy that a lot of people in the the Scots language were kind of hoping, hoping to do. And how many, uh, how much butchering did did they do? How many articles? Oh, it was tens of thousands. I think at the end, it was something like, I think, uh, 40% of the Scots language Wikipedia was content that he had added or heavily edited. So it was a large proportion of what was there. And uh, when it all unfolded, you know, some people suggested deleting it, just deleting the wiki, um, getting rid of it because it was kind of so decrepit or, or filled with um, these these uh, systemic issues. But actually what was decided, and I'm pretty sure it's uh, it's never happened with another Wikipedia, is that it was decided to systematically just delete all of his edits. But he was coming from somewhere, he was coming from the, the best place that you could. But especially when you're talking, you know, there's, there's minority languages and then there's minority languages. This is a very small language of which he had no working knowledge of it. Um, and without that, he just wasn't able to make meaningful contributions. And there wasn't enough people active on the Wikipedia to to stop him, basically. Well, I, I mean, I get the Wikinome idea of people, you know, helpfully pointing out that there should be an Oxford comma here or, you know, this contraction is incorrect or whatever that is. But for somebody to write tens of thousands of articles that are just nonsense, I mean, that's above and beyond fan fiction. That seems like a, some sort of personal issue where they're, I don't know, they just need to make a stamp on the earth somehow and they chose this way. It's quite whimsical. It is. And, and the, the individual editor has made some comments about um, perhaps that is he had kind of not quite a fixation, but that he had just kind of developed a behavior where he found it very difficult to disengage from the work. So that there might be something from his personality that, you know, he just started down this particular path and that, you know, it wasn't a productive thing for him to be doing. And unfortunately, he just wasn't diverted strongly enough from it. Now, nobody knows this person's identity, but my producer, Anna, spoke to them over email. And very conveniently, Anna is here um, to tell me what was, uh, what's the next part of this story? What happened? So this is what they said. The backlash was rough. It came in waves from different places. I don't wish to talk about it too much. I was very upset by the fact that my Twitter friends who had no connection to my wiki obsession were being harassed as well. After a few days and my response to the outrage was put on Reddit and The Guardian, I began getting more positive messages. People genuinely concerned for my well-being, that made me feel much better. But even now I still occasionally get very negative messages on my Wikitalk page. Just today I received one in fact. And then this person goes on to say that they've pretty much stopped editing Wikipedia altogether and they probably won't for a while. So, I mean... It's kind of crazy. Here we've got someone who, I agree with you, Rebecca, when you said you don't think they meant any harm. 
Um, I really don't think they meant to do the damage they ended up doing to the Scots Wikipedia. They say in another part of the email that they just found Scots Wikipedia really, really interesting from a young age. And um, this idea that it's related to English, but like uh, intelligible by English speakers, but is a totally abandoned Wikipedia. So, um, so yeah, it's just it's 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 quite a quite a sad story, really. Yeah, but but Anna, they the person. It's one thing to be fascinated by it, fair enough, and it's an old old language, like Rebecca said. And but then they just went and made things up. Mm, I mean, mm. that's creative writing. That's not writing Wikipedia, an encyclopedia mm. that is the sum of all notable human knowledge. Yeah, totally. Something else this person, Amar- Amaryllis Gardner, said in their email to me, they said that they think they got so obsessed with it because of, quote, their hyperfixation from my ADHD. Oftentimes I have trouble staying focused, but once I get on a project or hobby, it's difficult to stop, end quote. So... You know, clearly there were things going on behind behind the scene there, but yeah, for sure, Katie, I totally agree with you. It's it's like the the amount of the butchering that happened is is quite shocking. What I'm getting out of this is that it seems like you can game the system a little bit by becoming a Wikipedia administrator. Uh, do you think so, uh, Rebecca? Like, if I just sort of set myself up as like I'm going to just uh, take over this whole area and I am the authority, sounds like you could go down a bad path for a while without being challenged. There are, I mean, there are still, there are many quiet, and I occupy an awful lot of them on English language Wikipedia, very quiet backwaters where you don't really encounter many other travellers at the best of times. So if you're writing about, you know, historical Irish sculptors, it's the same few people you're going to come across because it's their area of interest as well. But really, to be honest, you know, it's a long tail. You have thousands of eyes, especially on English, paying attention to what's being added to high profile articles. If we look at medicine or politics, it's quite difficult probably in this day and age to to be that nefarious at a high level. Well, there you go. Wikipedia is uh, an army of curtain twitchers patrolling all articles, big and small. Thank you, Rebecca. This has really uh, extended my knowledge of this situation and uh, slightly less confused, but perhaps even more perplexed. Uh, that is the nature of humanity and the sum of all knowledge on Wikipedia. But um, thank you very much. Thank you. Going into this question, my thought was, what's the big whoop about history being written by just one kind of person um, or a group of people who happen to be based in America? i I don't think I ever even considered it, but of course now I realize there's all sorts of problems with it, just in terms of perspective, um, in terms of just sheer ignorance about what another population is going through. So of course now I understand that the ideal is for somebody who's living that life uh, is the person documenting it. So whether it's women, whether it's a marginalized group, Um, with the caveat that perhaps those populations are not people who can access the internet easily or have the time to do it or whatever it is. What do I think about all history of the world being written entirely by Americans? Uh, Well, just to give you one example, uh, the textbooks I had in elementary school were very happy to discuss uh, Indian savages who were the enemies of the brave cowboys and American settlers and pioneers. And of course they needed to be slaughtered because they were in the way. And of course, you know, 
We look at history now with all the information that we have and all the voices available, and we come to understand that perhaps Americans shouldn't write the history of the world because they're going to put their own little spin on American exceptionalism all over the globe. Anyway, all of it is uh, certainly a concern, and you can see why the Wikipedia editors are actually have their eye on the ball and are doing a good thing by trying to include all of these voices and all of these experiences. So in our next episode, we are talking news. Wikipedia is just a reference site. Like it or not, Wikipedia is seen as a news source. Or is it? There were some people who were really harassing uh, women editors. That was the closest I ever came to quitting Wikipedia. .com is a Crowd Network original. It's presented by me, Katie Puckrick, and written and produced by Anna Stauffenberg. It's edited by Charlie Frost. The music we use is from our partners, BMG Production Music. By the way, if you're still interested in Wikipedia's lopsided geography, here's a crazy fact for you. Imagine a map of the world. You've got the Americas, Europe, Africa, the Middle East, the whole of Asia, the Poles, Australasia. Think how huge Africa is. And Russia, which crosses 11 time zones. Now imagine Europe. On this map, there's a little circle around Europe. It's big enough to include the UK and Portugal to the west, the tip of Italy stiletto in the south, and Denmark in the north. But it stops just past the Polish border in the east. Now, dig this. There are more Wikipedia articles inside this circle than there are outside it. Ponder that for a second. Think about what it means for the sum of all human knowledge. And think if there's anything you can do about it. If you want another crowd podcast to listen to, I recommend a superb one called We Didn't Start the Fire. Well, I would. I'm in it. It's a history podcast inspired by the lyrics of Billy Joel, who, and this might surprise you, is the best gosh darn history teacher I've ever had. We cover North Korea, Stalin, Einstein, Nixon, Marilyn Monroe, Disneyland, and more, more, more as we try to explain why the world is the way it is today. Check it on out. You can search for We Didn't Start the Fire in your podcast app. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. at me whistling in a jaunty fashion. I wish I could whistle this well. Hello, my friend Tom and I... Hi guys, I'm Tom. Yeah, he's Tom. ...have this amazing history podcast. It's called We Didn't Start the Fire, and it's the only podcast started by Billy Joel. And Katie, without being boastful, it really is the most original, fascinating, and random way to learn the story of the 20th century. I think that's being boastful. We go from Maryland to the Mafia, from the Beatles to bombs. Yeah, it's 
politics, rock and roll, sport, television, the space race, and we're joined by some pretty incredible guests. I only wrote stuff that I wanted to hear. If it turned out to be a hit, it was pure dumb luck. With me, Katie Puckridge. And me, Tom Fornice. This is We Didn't Start the Fire, the only podcast started by me, Billy Joel. Search for We Didn't Start the Fire and subscribe now. 